Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast Empowering Female Leaders for Women Who Want to Thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Mary McGuire, who is the author of the book, The Female Edge, a book that she most recently published. And she's also founder of Agents to Change. Mary, do you want to say a few words about yourself? Yes, thank you very much, Ulrika, for inviting me today for this session. I'm very excited to be here and feel very honoured to, to be part of the programme. I focus on, on empowering female leaders, exactly what you're doing, over the last two to three years, although it's based on 20 years of international business experience. So Agents to Change, my consultancy, has been around for 14 years now, helping global companies deal with big change. But it was through that experience of change, I was able to see that women were being left behind, particularly at the very senior levels in organisations. And I felt very strongly that that needed to be addressed. And that's that's what I focus on. I think it's a fantastic focus. And I think there's a lot of empowering in there, which we need from ourselves, from the framework, but I think mainly from ourselves. I had a quite successful career and nonetheless... I was never happy with what I was doing, with myself, actually. Mm. And what I realized only once I stepped out of this corporate career is that I left systematically parts of my true self at the doorstep to the office. Mm. What is, in yeah. your opinion, at risk when women shy away from showing their true selves at work? Yeah, and I would say, Ulrika, you're not alone. I think this is something that women and men, to be fair, experience when they're not following their true passion or not connecting more deeply with what's important to them. So one of the, there's a number of premises my book is based on, which is based on my coaching programs for women, which is the same premise, which is success is an inside job. So if we feel successful on the inside, we have success on the outside. They go hand in hand. But what happens if we get pushed into a career, a role or an organisation which actually doesn't align very well with how we see ourselves or how we see our role? Something inside us gets dumbed down. Exactly what you say is we leave it on the doorstep. And over time, that is very corrosive to our sense of who we are and our sense of self because we're not expanding to the true fullest sense of who we see ourselves in the world and that is very very difficult for us so I don't think you're alone I think I've experienced it in my life without a doubt and I think many of the people listening now and listening to the recording will actually recognize that and here's some of the dangers of actually allowing that to go on and not addressing it I think the first one is you're denying yourself a full and happy life. And we are all entitled to that. We are all entitled to find a path, to find values, to find experiences which are meaningful to us. In fact, that is the reason we're here. We're here to find meaning in the experiences of the life that we live. So it's really important for us to recognize that's that's a fundamental right we have to find that happiness and that fulfillment. 
The second thing is, although we're driven by economic realities of finding a job and we have to pay for things which are food and household and all of the other um, bills that come when we've got children to raise and we've got a house to look after, that's, a, that's an economic reality. And sometimes that drives us at the expense of our internal drivers, the ones about meaning, the ones about fulfilment. So, yes, we have to find work. We have to find something that actually addresses our, our financial needs. But we don't need to do it at the expense of our internal needs. So a lot of what I focus on with women is how to find what are them internal drivers for me? What are the values for me? What are the things that are really important to me? And then once I've identified them, does the career, the work, the organisation that I'm part of now address and mirror what I'm looking for in my life and if it doesn't no panic but then it gives you a great starting point and a great self-awareness to think about well what do I want to build what would be the right career for me what would be the right organization that matches my values so even if you get to a point of recognizing it's not a good match it, that's not a disaster that's insight and from insight we can make informed decisions I think we have to work on our inside to materialize what we wish to see in our lives on the outside. And I know that it's not that easy uh, from my own experience and from what I am doing with my clients, because there's always this fear of, oh, what will I discover? As you say, when you go into this deeper self-awareness, when you allow yourself to really find out what do I want, what do I stand for? And then you might find out that what you're doing right now is not at all what you stand for. And you find the reason why you're not feeling happy, why you're not fulfilling your potential and why you're not recognized at work because inside of you something is not quite aligned. Yeah. What do you tell women who, first of all, are a bit afraid of digging deeper into this because they are afraid of finding out that they're not in the right place. And this means that logically, if you want to change the situation, you have to change potentially your job, which is perceived, especially in these days, mm. as a high risk. Without a doubt, it is seen as high risk. And, and I understand that. I think it's a bigger risk to live your life unfulfilled. <laughs> and that starts to take away something of our sense of self. So it's a bigger risk not addressing it than addressing it. So here's what I say to women is the greatest um, journey of discovery we can make is internal, is understanding who we are, what makes us tick, what's important to us, what brings us joy, what do we want to leave as a legacy in life, who do we want to support, how do we want to serve the greater community, that is the most amazing journey of discovery we, we can go on and it's all internal. But if we've lived our life with, maybe we've come from trauma, and I'll share a bit of my childhood, which actually was a trauma one. Maybe we've come from trauma. Maybe we've had very early experiences of pain and heartache, emotional pain and heartache, which means that we don't want to revisit anything that might do that again. Um, maybe we've been seriously let down in a relationship that we thought was a really significant relationship in our life, and then it didn't survive or something happened. There can be all sorts of reasons, but often our resistance to going internally is to do with some sort of pain or wound, emotional wound I'm talking about, we're holding on to. The reality is that once we allow that to happen, the wound wins. 
the pain wins. And so what we're implicitly saying is, I will allow pain to override any other experience that I have, even if I'm avoiding the pain. So it's still having a big influence on us. So the journey for discovery internally is essential. It can be hard. And that's why people like you and I exist, because sometimes having somebody who's there to wholeheartedly support you in a loving and nurturing partnership to allow you to explore things that in the past have felt painful to you, but you can go into them in a safe way and look at them with more objective eyes, you can often find that you can surpass the pain and see all of the wonderful um, things that are waiting for you to understand and explore. We hear quite often in other trainings or in books or whatever you find out there that we have to leverage our strengths mainly mm. instead of focusing on our weaknesses. Whereas your approach, and by the way, this is also my approach, <laughs> is more around you, you really have to understand yourself. There mm. are limiting beliefs that you carry around with you and, and you cannot really go beyond that as long as you haven't recognized them simply yeah. that they're there mm. um what is your take on this when people just say i want to focus on my strengths i want to build on them and only on them to level up my profile to become stronger mm. to feel better about myself mm. and i prefer that to leave all the rest aside what is your yeah. take on this well, I think that it's like everything in life. I think there's a balance with everything we do. So only focusing on our strengths means that we have a whole area that we are not looking at. And that becomes our blind spot. And I talk about the blind spot in the book, The Female Age. What is the blind spot? How does it come up? And how does it affect us? So only focusing on strengths means this whole blind spot. Only focusing on our weaknesses means that we we put ourselves under so much pressure to solve everything that we start to lose momentum and motivation. So always looking at strengths isn't good, always looking at weaknesses isn't good. So it's somewhere in the middle. And I, I like the model of if I use a, a sport analogy, I like the analogy of somebody who does things like the decathlon activity. So that's 10 different sporting activities. And any decathlon athlete will tell you, I'm not brilliant in all of them, but there's five of them I'm really strong at and two of them I'm excellent at. So what I do is I make sure I bring the five that I'm not great at up to a standard which is good enough. And I know I can do it well enough to compete. The five I'm really good at, I really concentrate on. And the two I'm exceptional at, I spend a lot of time making sure I continue to be exceptional at it. And that's a great model for us to think about. Because it, acknowledging the ones that we're not so good at, they may be weaknesses, they just may be challenging areas, doesn't mean we're bad or you know we lack something. We all have areas which are not going to be our sweet spot that's fine acknowledging them means that we can be aware of them and look at how much energy we want to put into them if the areas that are our weakness are central to what we do in our organization or our role then we need to address them in the way that the decathlon can't ignore them they have to deal with the five that they're not good at so you have to address them and deal with them and say how can i improve on these or get people around me who are good at these to make sure that they address the things i'm not good at but we have to acknowledge them and then the ones that are strengths absolutely build on them, but build on them with the insight that there's other areas that we won't be good at. 
This is a great analogy, the dec decathlon, because this sports person can mm -hmm. only do it if they do all 10 disciplines. Exactly. No matter if they like it or not, you yes. have to do all 10. If not, you cannot do a de decathlon. And yeah. I think this is exactly when it comes to embracing your true self. Mm. So I think it's a wonderful analogy. I like that one. I've never heard it before. It's very interesting. Oh, well, I got it from somebody else. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants <laughs> in terms of our knowledge. So I heard it many years ago and loved it. So I use that. <laughs> Yeah, it's really great. Let's come to your book now. In your book, you have developed a four-step process to find your personal authentic success, as you call it. Mm. Would you mind sharing with us these four steps? I will, actually. And what I'll do is I'll just share the three premises the book's built on and then share the model because mm -hmm. they're related. So the first one I've shared is success is an inside job. It's very much the more we know ourselves and what we are um, about, the more we can actually find success outside without a doubt anyone I've worked with anyone I've coached and supported that's the case inside first the second one is in this book and in the programs I do and I know in the work that you do Ulrika we're not trying to tell women how to be leaders because the leadership part of the skills you know how to manage people how to do the strategy how to manage performance that's all done. They've got that. It's never about the leadership skills per se, but it's about the context of being a leader in an environment which has an unconscious bias towards men as leaders. And also, the further up the chain, if you're in corporate world you go, the more likely you are to be the only one the only woman and if you're a woman of color the only woman of color around in this environment so there's very few people who are naturally role models or supporters around you you can turn that around without a doubt and the third premise of the book is change happens through action it never happens through ideas it happens through what you do so that's why like my transformation programs with my corporate clients my coaching programs and the book is all about as soon as you look to something how can I use this what's the tool what's the process what's the habit I can do but turn it into action as quickly as possible because that's how change happens so they're really important in terms of driving the process of improvement and success and empowerment for women in the workplace and so what I've done is I've, I've, I've summarized that into a four-step model called the edge. Hence, the book is called The Female Edge. And the four stages, the first E is for evaluate what got you here. So in the way that in your career, when you were feeling like this just is not fulfilling me and I'm not happy here, you clearly took a step back and you reflected, where am I now and how did I get here? And is this where I want to continue going? Evaluating what got you here is a really important step. And I use a journey map for, for women to really look at what have been the influences, both positive and negative, for my career today. What have been the drivers? What have been the resistors? And what can I learn from that to help me to define what's important to me? Then there's D for define where you want to go. So what's the roadmap I would like to build to get to my three-year or five-year vision of, of what I would like my life to look like? and the success I would like around me. And the way I get women to build a roadmap is very much putting the career 
and their organizational role in the context of life because it's about everything that's going on in my life it's about our relationship with our significant others it's about our family commitments it's about our community it's about how we want to support other people and be a role model for them it's about our relationship with money and finances and the financial milestones we want to make so it's really thinking of it in the round then once we know that, you can go into the next one, which is the D, G, sorry, for grow into your ideal leader. So very much what we've just been talking about is maybe where are the areas that I don't have either strong skills or I haven't spent the time really developing them areas, but they actually will be what I need to be the leader that I want to be for myself, for the people around me, maybe for my children and for other women who are coming up behind me. So what are the things I need to learn about? And that's very much the interpersonal skills, the sense of personal presence, the sense of owning our power, the sense of being really clear about the value we bring and being really clear of sharing that value with other people. And the final E is empower your success. So what are the ways I can build a right foundation around me to help me to be successful and to help build my resilience so that when I deal with knocks in the road, I, I'm ready for them and I can cope with them. And a big part of empowering your success is building your ally network. So who are the people you need around you that you can tell them about what you're doing and share your successes, but also support them? And I'm not just thinking about it in terms of the line management role, although your line manager ideally should be an ally they're not always but who's the person above them or above them even and who are the people who have a bigger influence across the organization or your industry or the work that you do that you maybe can start having conversations with and sharing what you do it's a very complete approach and it starts with self-awareness yeah. I think people skip that too easily because they directly jump into the piece of your last point, maybe promoting more what you're doing and sharing mm -hmm. your successes, even though this is another story, a fully yeah. different story yeah. where we can also speak about. But I think many people skip the self-awareness piece because they think, well, I can take action right away on promoting myself. Yeah. And um, by this, I guess they are then going into a variety of directions mm -hmm. and probably their career evolves more in an opportunistic driven way rather yeah. in a purpose-driven way yes. do you see this very often happening and what happens then it, it, I absolutely do see it happening and there's lots of reasons for that as I said that there's lots of pressure for us to get into the workplace very very quickly finish your training or your qualifications get into work keep your head down do a good job and you'll rise the corporate ladder and for some women that absolutely works but for a lot of women that doesn't work and when you go down that road of heads down do a good job do it you you're doing very little internal work but as soon as you get to a point where you say actually this is no longer uh, motivating me or fulfilling me the ability to move to a new direction is is something that will only happen well if you anchor it into your own internal values and intent If you don't do that, you can still potentially um, get success, but it's likely to be fleeting and it's likely to be that you're, you're needing to move around from job to job or industry to industry or role to role regularly because you'll hit that limit of this no longer fulfills me and you'll be looking for it externally again and again. And that's the problem with a lack of self-awareness is that we tend to focus outwards for our success, outwards for the sense of meaning, the sense of people approving of us and of what we do. 
And that can be very short-lived and it is very, very conditional on the day, on the person, on the situation, on the project. So it's constantly falling off the shelf of being okay and then you're looking for the new thing. So you can find success if you don't go internally, but it's actually a much harder road. Yeah, I understand that very well. <laughs> That's the road I went through. Exactly this one. I also wanted a new role in average every two or three years. Uh, on the one hand, because I got bored also on a functional level, but probably the main driver for that was what you were saying right now. It's that I was never fully satisfied and I was searching mm. it on the outside. Yeah. And today I believe that when you know that you have a high level of self-awareness is when you do not have to be self-aware anymore because it's quite natural because you just know it and you yes. just feel it yes. and you do not have to spend this time on thinking about yourself how you come over how you speak how you act because yes. it's all fine it's yes. all grounded on a certain foundation mm -hmm. and then you can have an outward focus and by this you can attract really interesting opportunities interesting people because you can finally listen and connect truly <laughs> to the outside world and this makes this big difference I would also like to dig a little bit deeper. We have a few minutes left and we shared this in another podcast, actually, where we spoke both. I have a podcast called Charisma Hacks. And in there we had a whole episode on how you can blow your trumpet your own way. Mm. And this brings me to your points. Rather, number three and four is particularly number four. Yeah. I would just scratch it a little bit here for, for another yeah. couple of minutes. I know that women especially struggle with promoting themselves, struggle with saying how good they are in something and by blowing their own trumpet mm. and by using their network in a more strategic way. And you have a lot of insights into this topic. Would you like to share a few of them? Yes. Uh, let me share a story first of, of, of my experience early in my career and then what I had to learn from that. So many years ago, I was running a very large staff team, residential services, and I recognized that we didn't have the right training program, career model, competency model, all sorts of things were missing because we were a specialized service in a generic organization. So I spoke to my line manager and says, I'd really like to develop this. And I developed a whole program, training, performance management, everything really around how to do things. Staff loved it. We got really focused on what we were doing and we seen some results come through in terms of the improvement in the services as a result then fast forward two or three months uh, later and I'm in the area management meeting and uh, the group CEO is there and um, they're calling out different things that have happened and they call out this amazing work that has happened in this unit I was managing and all the things and then he, he looks at my line manager and he congratulates her for all the hard work she's done to achieve that and I was looking, waiting for her to then turn to me and say, oh, but of course, you know, I just supported it. This is the work of Mary. But she didn't. She shined in the, basked in the glory of his attention and admiration and didn't at any point acknowledge that the work was my work. And I felt devastated about that. But the thing is, It would have been no good at that point in that meeting to put my hand up and say, oh, hang on a minute, I did that work because I would have sounded like I was just being sulky. I was having a go. I, you know, I, I, I was just um, unhappy. It, it, it wouldn't have helped me to put my hand up. I didn't. I didn't have the wherewithal to do it, but I didn't put my hand up. 
And now, many, many, many years later, I can see that there was a number of places where I went wrong, and this is where I see women going wrong. I felt that hard work, putting your head down, doing the work, and then getting the results was enough in itself for people to recognize what you do. I felt that the results of it would shine through and people would automatically see that the results that I got were to do with the work that I did. And I felt that if I just stayed focused on the job I did and did that well, then somehow people would say, oh, you know, Mary does a good job. She's a hard worker. She achieves all these things. And they would recognize it that way. And on every single count, I was wrong. And if there's any women listening, you are wrong. It's not how it happens. And I, my first career was in social work. And I talk about the socialization process, the gender socialization process that we have in society and how it leads to different behaviors in the workplace. So one of the key ones is when we are bringing up boys, we put expectations of them for them to be very much out in the world, to be competitive, to be part of the sporting world, to be confident saying what they think, to be aggressive at times if they need to, if they're in a competitive environment. And we put all these expectations of them, not just as parents, I have to say, it's much wider in society. And women, it's about being kind, it's about being friendly, it's often about being pretty, it's about not making a fuss, it's about supporting. And as a result of then different socialisations, what we see is behaviours that come out in the workplace are that men, when they start a job, obviously not all men, there's a bell curve to everything, but generally men's behaviour, because of this socialisation processes, they look at the job, they look at the team, they look at the organisation, and straight away, they're looking up and saying, but who are the people around me? Who are the key stakeholders? Who do I need to speak to? Who do I need to let know I'm in this organization now and this is me and this is what I do and I'm going to do this role? And how do I start making them connections? They do that almost from week one. Women, on the other hand, they don't start the networking until two, three months, maybe four months into the world, where they're starting to really look around them and who's around because they have this view of if I work hard enough, that'll be noticed. Men don't have that. They have, who do I know? Who do I need to know? Who needs to know me? And that then has a big impact on career outcomes. We already know that. There's loads of research around this. So men progress quicker and they progress higher in the organisation. So here's what I say to my women. One of the things is when you're not in a room that decisions are being made about you or your career or your function or your team or your project, how do the people that are in that room know about you? So how do you get to the people that are in the rooms that you're not in and, and having conversations with them before they're in that room so that they can promote your work? So if I'd have learned that earlier in my career, what would have happened in my situation when my line manager was getting all of that glory is somebody else, because I would have spoken to more people, would have said, oh, well, yes, you did do a really good job there. But as I remember rightly, Mary did all of the design work because I remember her coming to us and sharing some of that with us early on, didn't you, Mary? So there would have been other people around to actually encourage, support and promote my work. I just wasn't good at that. And what we need to think about is allies in a whole range of places. So people who are peers of us, but maybe in a different area, people who are the next level up, who aren't just our line manager, but in other areas, and certainly the people who get closer to the group level leaders, 
and have an interest in an area that you're working in and might want to hear about some of the work that you're doing. So the more we have opened up them conversations to people around us, and it's not in a bragging way. So, you know, what we worry about as women is that we're making a big fuss about doing what we're getting paid to do. But men don't worry about that. Men don't worry about making a fuss about doing the things they're getting paid to do. They're making a fuss about it because they're saying, I want people to know I've done this job. I want people to know. So women have some of these unhelpful ways of thinking and filters that they use, which get in the way of them just sharing with people. I delivered this project last year. And as a result of that, we've got an increase um, efficiency of 20% in a payment process or an invoice process or a recruitment process. Or I had a really poor team when I took this job. I've done is I've built them up and the things that I'm seeing as a result. We're just sharing the work because people are interested in what we do and people want to know the value we bring. People do want to know it. We just need to go out of our way to tell them. Yeah, and I think we have to exercise this a little bit because not feeling comfortable with pronouncing this because if you awkward, you feel like bragging, actually, go in front of a mirror and just say it out loud until it feels yeah. natural and then you say it out loud and the next day and mm -hmm. it feels natural. Yeah. And it's really about learning this. It, it makes such a difference. And over time, it becomes something that is just normal. But women do not network enough. And yeah. I think that we have a lot of levers that we can use, a lot, be it yeah. internal levers or this more external levers like yeah. you just shared where it's about strategically building your your network or strategically yeah. networking yeah. instead of just strategically working on your projects which, yes. which most women just do there are so many levers which we can use to level up our profiles to feel better with what we're doing and to simply step into our, our power what would be in your opinion the very first step the very first thing to start with now when When we stop our conversation, what, what they can do. <laughs> Let's do the, the networking one and the allies. What I think what women can do is like look in their organization and think, who do I know well and who knows me that could be an influencer for my career further on? So there could be people who are in the room making promotion decisions about you, or there could be people starting up a new area of the business that you're really interested in getting involved with, or there could be somebody who actually is developing an area where you've already done some work and you know you could help them. Could be anything. But start to think about four to five people and go as high in the organization as you want. I always say, don't get stuck by the idea of, but I'm only level two and this person's a level eight and I can't possibly go to them. Let me tell you something. They're human. They have conversations every day. You can have a conversation yeah. with them. So yeah. think about four or five people that could be an ally. And then think about what are the things I want to say to them? What, what do I want to know from them? And what can I tell them about what I do? And just organize a, a Zoom virtual coffee if you're not back in the office. Or go and see them and say, can I have 10 or 15 minutes of your time? I'd love to hear about your role, but I'd love to tell you what I'm doing. It might be of interest. And it's just that, no big risk to this. And the other thing I say is if you find that people are saying, no, I haven't got time, thanks very much, they're not the people. Just take them off your list, find a new name. It's like, don't be worried about the people who won't meet with you. They're just not your people. But carry on and find a good four to five people who are outside of your immediate line management role and outside of your immediate area that you work in, your function or your team, that you can start talking to and having conversations with and see what happens. Because you do not have to please everybody. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. Exactly. 
I thank you very much, Mary. We are coming to an end with the time. Uh, thank you for all of these helpful insights. And if people want to learn more about the Female Edge approach and these four steps in detail, they can get your book, The Female Edge. They and, can. Yes, um, that's, that's the book. Like. Which is on yeah. Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yeah. It's on Amazon. I, I'm yeah. waiting for it to arrive. <laughs> so very, very much looking forward to reading it. And uh, for those who want to listen to in more with what we both have done already, there is the podcast Charisma Hacks. It's another podcast where I share tools and strategies to communicate with charisma. And you gave a lot of interesting insights, especially into this networking piece, which you just mentioned at the end. I thank you very much, Mary. Thank you. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I'm excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.